Blog Talk Radio. Good Welcome afternoon. to Michigan oh, Avenue Media so and the World of Ink Network. This podcast was founded in 2011 by Marsha Casper-Cook and Virginia Grenier. Their focus has always been on helping writers reach their dreams by having informative and entertaining shows. You will also hear the latest information on what's new and exciting in the publishing and marketing industry. And the shows will also cover discussions on screenwriting, audiobooks and movies. New to the shows will be the latest style and trends in fashion, as well as nutrition and how Pinterest can add just the right spark of attention you may need for your projects. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. You can find out more information about our shows and being a guest at www.michiganavenuemedia.com. Good afternoon. This is Bennett Pomerantz, and this is Anything Goes. And I want to make sure that we all knew things are getting back to semi-normal. And I'm, I'm happy about that. But also, that doesn't stop you from reading and doing some of the things you really like and enjoy. And... I have a book, a book that I saw a couple of weeks ago, month, about a month ago, and this gentleman's book just amazed me. It really did. When I read about it, it just was it, it was an interesting book. And uh, I want to introduce the author, which is his name is Jay Davis. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I had a question for you. Sure. Uh, because I, I love new books. Where did you get the idea for this book? So uh, I am in education. I've been in education for the last 10 years. But for my first eight years in education, I was a language arts teacher. And I realized that, you know, there was a lull between state testing and summer, about a six-week lull where it was really difficult to keep the kids interested because they knew summer was right around the corner. So in about my fourth year, I began writing this this book in the hopes that I could keep them engaged, and I built a curriculum around it. And uh, they, they seemed to enjoy it. They really liked it. Um, so I guess students were my inspiration. Now, obviously, the book that's for purchase today is much different than what my eighth graders read, but... Uh, it was them that inspired me to begin it. Well, okay, it inspired you. And how long did it take you from inspiration to final product, to the product that's out now? So off and on, I wrote for about three years. And, like, each version I would pilot to a, a class of eighth graders. So that was you know, off and on roughly three years. And then um, I submitted it for publication to 30 different publishers. 29 told me politely no. Um, DLG Publishing Partners, they gave me a chance. And so after being signed with DLG, it was then about 10 and a half months of what I called writer's boot camp, learning to be a better writer and cha- you know, transforming this eighth grade story into you know, the rated R flick that it is now. I I enjoyed the premise so much. Um, somebody said it was the uh, the the modern day Rocky, uh, one of the 
people told me it was one of the modern day Rockies. What uh-huh. do you think of that? Well, I don't know if it's modern day Rocky. Rocky was a classic. Uh, and honestly, truth be told, the story, <clears throat> while there is some boxing in it, it's far more uh, developed around, you know, the mafia and organized crime ideal. Uh, you know, the main character is an aspiring boxer and he realizes the only way he's going to get a shot is if he, you know, falls in bed with, you know, some of the criminal underworld runners. And by doing that, the story really becomes less about boxing and more about him having to make decisions that he wouldn't make normally, but because he's got this dream, because he wants to be this superstar boxer, he's willing to take these risks. And then as the story unfolds, it's really less about boxing and more about him, you know, falling deeper and deeper into this underworld. Do you think it's the premise is updated to, um, I'm trying to find the right words here. Excuse me. Um, okay. Do you think the underworld really right now controls boxing? I wouldn't say now. Um, I would say that there was definitely some, some mafia involvement, you know, back in the day, even, you know, the Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, those boxers, uh, you know, I think that they've had the organized crimes had their hands in everything. Um, you know, to my, you know, my belief now is organized crime is far more white collar than it than it was, you know, back in the day. But I think that you know anything that's anything that can make you money, there's going to be people out there trying to make a buck off of you. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was some mafia undertone within the boxing community today. Okay, you've got the first book. It's out. It's it's. It's a wonderful thing. It's available on Amazon. What's your next project? So the next project is the sequel of Boxed In. Um, I left it open-ended with the idea of making it a trilogy. Um, But at this point, I think I'm just going to do the sequel and then move on to a different project. So my next project is following, you know, the two main characters from Boxed In and watching them navigate through the rubble that's left after the conclusion of the first book. Um, you know, I'm very proud of it. I'm about halfway through it and I'm going to be submitting it DLG, um, and seeing if they're willing to take it on. Um, so that's kind of what I'm working on. And, and do you find it easy to write a sequel now or is it, you know, I know it's not submitted, but I'm saying is it easier to write a sequel or at least have the, uh, draw strings to it. Yeah, I think that you know, I, I think the hard one of the hardest parts of writing a book is is writing the characters. You know, you can have the idea in your head, but it's building those characters. So, the convenience when you're looking at a sequel is you've already got these characters written. You know, so it's you're not going back to the drawing board. Um, you know, obviously you need to still build the story, but. You, now you have a premise, you have something to work off of, you've gotten feedback from peers and other readers about what worked in the first, what didn't. So I, I think it's it, it makes life a little bit easier, for sure. But do you find, okay, are you writing any other projects, or is that the sequel is, is what you're writing right now and is on the, the drawing board? Yeah, so the sequel is what I'm focused on. I have something else that I'm working on, um, same genre, different characters, different story. Um, but it's not the, 
it's not mafia based. This is more based on just you know, criminal thugs destroying destroying the world and people trying to fight through it. But my main focus is getting the sequel to Boxed In out. Have any idea when that's going to be out? Oh God, I, I still have to finish it, and then I have to hope that uh, DLG Publishing takes it or another publisher if they're not willing to take it on. So I have. I have no idea um, when it will be out. I hope to have my version, my most complete version, complete by the end of summer so that I can start submitting before next school year. Are you still teaching? No, I, uh, I'm no longer in the classroom. I'm in education, so I work, I work now with teachers. I help teachers, new teachers, uh, you know, less experienced teachers plan. I help them, uh, you know, read their data. I go in, I model lessons for them but uh, I'm no longer in the classroom. Okay. How would you say set this book up for, uh, let's say, eighth graders, even though it's a little more mature for eighth graders. Uh, Let's say college or high school. Let's say high school. How would you set this book up for an educational resource? Well, the, the way that I wrote it is throughout throughout each chapter, I I created assessments that that follow the different Florida standards. Now, obviously, the current book that's out, you know, a lot of that was flushed out to make it more rated R. Um, but to set it up as curriculum based, you know, I, I tried to have a heavy theme running through it, a lot of mini themes. I tried to have you know subtle character development to, to touch on how authors create characters. Um, you know, I. The, the idea of the whole plot arc is pretty much, you know, what you're going to see, your exposition, rising action, you know, climax. I mean, it's very clear, very solidly written so that, you know, students can identify with it. Um, you know, and then I'll, I always also included, you know, internal mo- monologue and showing how italics are thoughts and, you know, th- how authors use punctuation to, to bring, to drive home points. Um, you know, and all that was very fluid as I was writing it. Cause again, as I was writing it, I was pitching it to my students. We would read a section and they would, you know, they would give me feedback on it. Um, you know, so from a curriculum standpoint, any, any book can be used as curriculum as long as the person writing the assessments has an understanding of what the book was about and what the book was trying to convey. And have you heard any feedback from those students that you started with this book? Oh, yeah. I've had, um, you know, I, I was never a social media guy, but uh, DLG, my publishing company, made it very clear that um, – in order for me to get out there, I would have to kind of embrace the social media. And in doing so, I've caught up with many of my former students, many of which have purchased the new, the new copy because they're now of age, but also many who remember the original version, you know, and, and they're very excited to see that, you know, the book's published. Like, like I said, when I wrote the book originally, you know, it, the idea was we would read it through the final six weeks and then their final exam was project based. And so what I would get from them were these incredible artistic projects revolving around the book and so I knew that I had something here I knew that you know it was it was a likable I knew it was engaging because I had students who were coming back to me constantly asking for help or asking for clarification or really putting forth a hundred percent effort in their projects so I knew that I'd I'd hit a nerve I knew that I had something you know somewhat interesting I never thought it was going to be a bestseller but I figured it could sell and then obviously, you know, now with some of these former students coming back and, you know, sending me pictures of them holding the book saying, you know, I'm reading, I'm on chapter 40, I'm loving every minute of it, you know. So it's, it's great to have that feedback, that confirmation that what I did has value. 
Well, of course it has value. I think I think you were talented off them. I've read an excerpt of book. I know it's 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 very good. Uh, but do you find that is it the ones that have read it in the first I say first draft, excuse my term. Um have they has it inspired them to write it all? Um, I don't know if it's inspired them to write it all. Uh I will say that, you know, the school that I work at is Title One. Uh, you know, the socioeconomic impact is serious. You know, we're about I'd say I think eighty three percent free reduced lunch, you know, so it's a tough group of kids. And so it might not have inspired students to write their own story, but I can say that it's inspired kids to pick up a book. Um, You know, these are some kids that honestly, it was difficult to get them to pick up a pencil in class, but here I am with this story and they're engaged, they're interested. So I I wouldn't go as far to say that I inspired them to write, but I think I certainly showed them, you know, the the value in reading. And if you can find something you're interested in and that, that, you know, reading is, paramount in today's world you know some kids think that everything's gonna be on the computer it doesn't matter but you still have to be able to read and if you become a reader you become a better writer it works hand in hand so I certainly think that I've inspired many students you know to have a little more value in education and has any of them and I'm not trying to be rude but has any of them achieved say college or high school or or what or Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had, um, again, since I got on Facebook for the first time, uh, I, my, my original class was 2012, so now those kids are off in college. Um, and I've had probably 10 or so in the last couple months, you know, direct message me, hey, Mr. Widerman, how's it going? And then they talk about where they are. You know, I went to Florida State, and so I was so happy to see that three or four of my former students went to Florida State. Um, you know, some are going to Palm Beach Atlantic, some are – you know, some are in U.S., you know, so it's it's really great to see that many of these kids, you know, have, have, have reached the goals they set out. You know, obviously not everybody, but, you know, it certainly saw an impact of kids, you know, taking value in education. Now, how much of that I had to do with it, I'm not sure. But, I, you know, you can definitely see the progress of many of the students. Don't downplay. You, you had a lot to do with it, trust me. Okay. You inspired them. What I heard from some of the other people that I talked to about this book, you inspired some of them, I know. Well, that's good to hear. Now, you've left yourself for a second novella, second story. What do you want out of that second story? Um, you're taking, you're you're fusing the the last book onto the next one. So what do you want from that? Well, I I certainly want it to be better. You know, I've, you know, you've, you've read stories or you've watched movies where the sequel just didn't, didn't uh, land. And I don't want, I don't want my sequel to be, uh, not as well received. So I am going to take some specific time on it. Also, you know, I've learned a lot through DLG Publishing on how to write, how to craft a story. And so I think that I'm, I'm better armed to take on this book head on. What I want is I want it to be an engaging read. I want people to, you know, to say, wow, the first one was great. The second one was just as good or the second one was better. 
you know, this guy, this guy's got what it takes. I want to, I want to, you know, read more of what he has to offer. Um, you know, I don't want it to flop, and that's why it's going to be very important to me that, you know, I take my time on it. Um, but in my head, I've got, I've got the story, I've got the ending, I've got exactly where it all goes, and I think it's going to be a phenomenal read. Okay, you said you're working on another project as well. Uh huh. So that's discussion, or is that a top secret at the moment? Oh no, it's not. It's not top secret. It's just it's in its beginning stages, so I don't know how much I can tell you about it. Uh, just to give you a quick synopsis, it's uh, about a guy named Jared who. Uh, again, falls in with the wrong crowd, but now rather than it be the mafia element like boxed in, this is more just street thugs who are trying to make a buck. And the story itself, for the most part, is just two different stories, um, you know, interspersed within one novel. So half the story is you're following Jared, who has been caught for an armed robbery, and he is now in prison navigating through prison life. The other half is his partner who is on the outside who got away with the crime, and um, he is trying his hardest to get to Jared and, and silence Jared for good while he's in prison. And the idea being, you know, you've got these two forces, these two bad people who are are getting worse throughout each page as opposed to fixing it or realizing they can move on or, or realizing there's the right thing you can do. These guys are going to go further and further into the rabbit hole, so to speak. And it, it makes for us, you know, a solid story. Again, that one's very fresh, very new. I have no idea how it ends. But it's something that I kind of put on the back burner once DLG picked up Boxed In because I was working on it. I, I had no plans to write the sequel of Boxed In because it was just on a flash drive that my students and I read. It, it was never meant to be published. So I worked on the other story that's titled Go uh, about Jared and about this this, this prison novel. Um, but I, I kind of put it on the back burner once all this happened with DLG. But do you find, do you, okay, everybody, this is your lucky break because everybody has a lucky break, I know. Uh, right. Do you find, do you find that people have come to you or sent you emails, sent you a letter or whatever, and said that it was inspiring, it was good? I don't mean press, I'm talking about people and I don't mean just your students yeah um you know I to this point I think I've sold roughly 200 copies of boxed in um and many of them are you know family and friends up to this point not all of them but you know a lot of them um and I've had I many am people, not your family huh you said family and friends and I said I am not your family <laughs> That's correct. I okay. may be your friend, but I'm not your family. <laughs> All right. Well, from from the people that I do know who have con- who have access to me via email or via text, you know, the the response to the story's been overwhelming. It's been, you know, things like I can't believe, you know, this is your first book, and you know, I can't wait for the sequel, and you know, you've got talent, you know, yada 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 yada, and you know, it's it's always nice to hear that, you know, and so but then it's when you're talking to a family member, you know, there's a little bias there, but then when you get a call or a, a message on Facebook from someone you barely know who is adding to that sentiment, you know, it's definitely more oh, inspiring. Guilty, for you. Guilty. <laughs> guilty is charged folks. 
I know I have the right to remain silent, and anything I say can and will be used against me later. <laughs> but um, you have you have some good people following you, and and they really are good. Um, yeah. Now let's talk about writing in general. How do you write? And I don't mean just I put pen to paper. No, how do you write? Um, you know, I'll be honest here. I read a book by Stephen King and the book was titled on writing. And Uh, I must've read, I must've read that book. Uh, I'm not lying to you. I've probably read that book five times. I I think Stephen King is quite frankly, one of the greatest of all time. You know, maybe, maybe that's short sighted because there's been a lot of great authors, but I just think he's awesome. So I read his book and you know, the one thing that really stuck with me was he said, you don't write a story from beginning to end. You write a character in a situation and you let the story develop from that point. So when I sat down to write Boxed In, I said, okay, I have always read, voraciously read three topics. And that would be the mafia, the old West gunfighters and the presidents. So I want to have a story that revolves around something I'm interested in. But I also need something that's going to interest my students. So I, th- I thought that the best choice would be the mafia. So when I began Boxed In, I had no idea where the hell it was going. It was more, I want to write a story about a kid who's trying to become a boxer who gets mixed up with the mob. And in my original version of Boxed In, it was only about 80 pages, and there was only like three characters. And I went back to the drawing board and said, okay, now if I want to fluff this story up, I need to add characters. What characters make sense to fall in with this story? And now I can blossom from that. Add this character, I'm adding five or six new chapters. Add this event based on this character, I'm adding five or six chapters. The next thing you know, I'm submitting the story to DLG with 80,000 words, and the book that's been published is 140,000 words. So the idea is never to, have the, never to have the beginning, middle, and end written in your mind. It's to have a character and let the character build the story. That's how I write. Okay. Let me ask you. You said it was start and you had 80,000 words. Were you surprised with that many words? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Was I surprised that I had that many? Yeah. Ah, I mean, yeah, I guess. Uh, you set a, a basic outline in three characters, and suddenly you you got 80,000 words, and then finally it was over at, at 140,000 words. Right. So the 80,000, so the original version that I wrote, um, you know, it, it, it only had like three characters. And I learned after piloting it with my different students and I got their feedback. You know, honestly, I didn't just write this story. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you. You know, much of what I've written has been inspired by the feedback and the thoughts of students. So we read the original version, and they said, you know what, Mr. Weiderman, what if you added a love interest for this character? Mr. Weiderman, I don't like this guy. Let's scrap him, but let's put something, somebody else that's really, really badass in his place. And so it went from my short little novella, which is all it was, to a full-blown novel by the time I submitted to DLG. And that's because I was constantly getting feedback and, and, and drawing on what others thought, you know, you know, the old adage, the old adage, you know, two heads are better than one. I had classes full of critics 
classes full of kids who could say, you know what, that doesn't work, or that's really cool. Let's, let's expand on that. So that's really how you, it was developed. You, how old did the children, the, the, the students? My, I taught eighth grade, so it was 13- and 14-year-old kids. Oh, God, yes. You had, you had fun with it. Uh, Absolutely. Let me, let, me, let me take about two minutes of your time for a commercial break here. I need to let them know how much I love them and let them know what's coming up. Uh, sure. Next week on Anything Goes, we have Catherine Ty, uh, Kathleen Todd Ball, and she writes great westerns. And we have a lot of people coming up. People have been asking me and saying, you know, uh, what's coming up? But, you know, and I want to give them a, a heads up of what's coming up and what, you know, what's, you know, so you know. G.A. Hauser will be here on the 14th. And then also on the, you know, after that, we'll have Jennifer Chase. And so it will be really fun because we have Jennifer Chase coming on the 11th. Uh, Paris Alton Bonds, who's, she's got 100 books, and she's going to be here on the 18th. And uh, we'll have uh, Dina Ramal on the 25th. And on the 2nd of July, I'm taking off for, 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 for the holidays. I'm allowed. It's basically what holiday. Come on, you know. And coming back on the ninth, we have Michelle Prince. So we don't have anything coming up, right? If you believe that, I got Swampland. I'm selling very, very cheaply. I mean, ten cents. On commercial break. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. And somebody asked me a question because I did the legal show the last go round. And I'm going to tell you, Sarah, Sarah Steele is coming back on the 13th of August. So, you know, there are other shows coming up, but Sarah is no, coming back. You don't have to listen to that. I thought you guys were listening. It's fine. Okay. You don't have to and listen to so that. And so we have some nice stuff coming up. Sound like you're busy. I don't want to interrupt anything. Nope, I'm not. I'm ready to go. Okay, good. Do you have a favorite author? That's from Janine in Port Arthur, Texas. Uh, Yes, my my favorite author is Stephen King, and I would say a close second would be Edgar Allan Poe. His poetry or or his novels, novellas. Oh, his novels. Oh, yeah, his novellas. Oh, yeah, without question. Although, you know, I do think that his his poem, The Raven, is you know one of the greatest of all time. We agree. We agree. We agree. Okay. Uh, is there any? Okay. Do you what do you use for inspiration other than the classroom? Uh, honestly, just shock value. Uh, you know, I want my writing to be descriptive, and I want people to want to keep turning the page. And I, I think that if 
you know, there's enough violence. There's enough uh, bad decision-making. There's enough, uh, you know, terrible things that happen. People will continue. Now, obviously, you know, that kind of writing alienates people who aren't interested in that kind of story. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, the greatest books and the greatest movies are the ones where there's just a whole lot of tragedy. And so my inspiration is trying to shock the fans, trying to shock the reader, uh, you know, keep them wondering why the hell did that just happen? Do I have to keep going? Yes, you have to keep going. Yeah, but do you, did you find did you find yourself having enough fun with shocking them, or did yeah. you, you find it was a hard thing to just keep shop, shocking them? I could say it. I'll be happy. Well, I, I don't know. It's a hard way to to balance it. You don't want just a whole bunch of blood and death without a story behind it. So, uh, you know, finding the balance of you know, keeping the reader engaged and keeping them, you know, wanting to know why all these terrible things are happen, are happening, but also, you know, writing the story itself, you know, just a whole bunch of blood and murders, that's not a story. So it's finding that balance, being able to shock them, but also have them drawn into, you know, a story that's unfolding that, you know, maybe they can relate to, you know, the story itself is pretty simple. Person makes bad decision, gets in lots of trouble. I mean, that's the basic premise of it. So, that's something many of us can relate to in, you know, so my goal was to have something relatable, but also, you know, a lot of violence, a lot of grit, a lot of, you know, wow, I can't believe that just happened. Well, let me ask you, you like, you like King. Do you agree with King's, what King said was Trump is, is a version of Stilton from the dead zone? Uh, you're going to have to repeat that. I don't think I caught that. Oh, I'm sorry. Stephen King just said in YouTube in a couple of interviews on his website that he did a book 20 years ago called The Dead Zone with Greg uh-huh. Stilson as a main character. Now, mm-hmm. he said that Greg Stilson basically is a version of Trump. Oh, I, I, so I, never, I never got that, and I'll be honest, I never read The Dead Zone. Um, so I, well, I don't you have now know what there. you now know what you have to get now, right? <laughs> yes, but, I do. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not saying that it is. This is what Stephen King said, and I know you're a Stephen King fan. That's why right. I had asked um, if, if fiction parries to real life. Oh, I, absolutely. Of course it does. I mean, we writers draw their, their inspiration. They draw their ideas from the world that they've lived in. So, I mean, I think that anything goes. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too political. You know, Trump is definitely a loud mouth and he's, uh, you know, he says what he wants to say when he wants to say it. And I'm sure that there's been many characters written that are just like that. Okay. Now, let me ask you this, and I'm being very honest with you. Okay. Uh, do you find, other than you're a King fan, I know, and I have nothing against Stephen King, but what I'm saying to you is there a classic book other than King's books you would recommend to students in, say, the eighth grade? A classic book I would recommend to students classic in the eighth book. grade. Um, 
Catcher in the Rye, although that might not be eighth grade, but that was definitely one of my favorites. Um, a, a story that it might not be a classic, but one that I read when I was about eighth grade age was a stone for Danny Fisher, which is also about, you know, a, a young fighter who gets mixed up in some things. Uh, that was a great book, a stone for Danny Fisher. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it. Um, so yeah, catching the rye stone for Danny Fisher, you know, and then you got the, the other classics that are, you know, might, might bore you to death, like great expectations, things like that. Oh, try, try Stuart Little. I couldn't stop. Stu, I was a Stuart Little fan for about 20 years. I uh-huh. still am in a way. They, you know, somebody said, oh, about a mouse that does, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, and you try to tell somebody and somebody might say, oh, yeah, right. You like that book. And then they you show them comparisons and they look at you like, how can you do this? And I say, you do it. Yeah. Is there a classic novel you like? Uh, you know, one that I've read, uh, it's not a novel, but again, I, I said I like Poe. So, you know, I, Telltale Heart is a classic one I always read with my students. Um, you know, I picked up a separate piece, tried to read that, just could not get into it. Um, Me too. Oh, my God. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, For years I, I, they honestly, said it was me that I couldn't do that I couldn't get into the book, and so I was stupid, and I I don't ever like being called stupid by anyone. And yeah, so no, no, no. So somebody says, "Well, you couldn't get into it." Some books you cannot get into. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, I. I like I know there's a lot of great, you know, like uh sci-fi end of the world stuff out there today. Um, it's just, it's not my cup of tea. You start bringing dragons into stories and I'm, I lose interest. You start bringing these supernatural powers into stories and I, I lose interest. Like the stories that I write are things that you could see on a daily basis, stuff that you're going to see on the news. Um, you know, that's always been my feeling. Going back to your question, though, one one classic I would definitely recommend would be The Great Gatsby. I think that's a phenomenal piece of literature. Um, yeah. My my favorite, and as dumb as it sounds, is Roll Ball's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that, Bennett. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's, it's one of my fa- It's one of my favorites. And, Somebody's like, well, it's a children's book. No, it's not. <laughs> I always love when somebody says, it's a children's book. No. If you read right. it for what it's worth, it's not a ch- just a children's book. I mean, right, there right. are, you know, it's like if I got the golden ticket, and I would ride the rides too. It would be so, you know. Well, let me let me ask you. Did you uh, did you like the Johnny Depp version or the Gene Wilder version? Oh, please, Gene Wilder, Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp can roll in in H E double toothpicks. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think Depp made it more like he was an adult child, and Wilder did it like he was he was a grown up. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. 
and and Jeff was like, "Oh wow, boys and girls!" No, I couldn't. I couldn't handle. I I handled about three quarters of the movie, and I was watching it like through clenched hands, going, yeah. "No, no, no." So now you I don't feel like Jeff at all. No, I love Jeff. Give me Don Juan. DeMarco, I love that movie. What about I Donnie love... Brasco? Donnie Brasco, it's not my favorite. My favorite <laughs> is Where the Buffalo Roams. Ah, I never saw that. Well, he he played Hunter S. Thompson, and uh, it was uh, it was a road movie basically, and Depp was there, and it was a an amazing amazing film. Where the Buffalo Roams was the other one where he played Hunter S. Thompson. And it, it, I, I don't like Hunter S. Thompson personally, but he did a great job. And it was an amazing thing. It was a small film. It wasn't. It it got people, but it really was a small film. You have to really look for it. That's like at two o'clock in the morning on Cinemax, you know. Right, right. <laughs> you're not seeing it at, at nine o'clock prime time. You know, you're seeing it at two o'clock in the morning and going, oh yeah, I think I'm going to stay up. Right. Where you had a bout of insomnia and you're going to watch Johnny Depp. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. You've you've inspired me. I'm definitely gonna check it out. Well, what also uh, you know Depp of course had uh, he did Twenty One Jump Street for a little while, and he basically was amazing in that for a little while, and it was it was it was nineties pop. You know, you had Holly Robinson, and you had uh, Depp, and you had Peter DeLuise, and even you had Greco, who before he decided to to get old. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm opinionated too, but uh, I liked Twenty One Jump Street. Somebody just chimed in and said, "Why?" <laughs> Because it wasn't just the normal standard teen cop kind of thing. Thank God. They did a show many, many years ago that I'm dating myself now. David Cassidy Undercover. And it was the same thing as 21 Jump Street. Instead of five of them, it was only him. And it really didn't work for me. Mm. And what they, you know, they don't do television these days, everything is either formula or um, recycled. I mean, they just canceled Hawaii Five O, but basically, it was recycled Hawaii Five O. Well, yeah, because it's the classics. It's all the classics from back in the day. They're bringing back because no one has new ideas. Exactly. If you had a chance to redo one, what would you do? What would I redo? Uh, yeah, what would you redo? I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but what would you redo? Uh, 
Ah, uh, what would I read? Well, can, can it be a movie? Because I would love to redo Bloodsport with John Claude Van Damme, but make it more modern and awesome. That would be cool. You ever seen that one? Yes, I have. Yeah, I would do that one for sure. Or uh, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, like I know that they've redone Terminator a hundred times. Like I still think Terminator Two might be one of the greatest action films of all time. I'd love to see just Terminator 2 again, just with now, with today's technology. That'd be kind of awesome. But you know what I would like to, and we're talking about, you know, movies and things we'd like to see. I would love them to remake and done well. It's a mad, 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 mad world. You know, where <clears throat> somebody kicks the bucket and five of them are looking for the, the treasure under the W. And mm-hmm. I mean, they took five points of view, and and it, it, it had to be a three-hour movie. And it was it was a powerful, good film, but they really didn't give you much opportunity after this. They they've done things like scavenger hunt and other things, but. Really, they haven't done something like it's a mad, mad, mad world. I'd love them to remake it. Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I I don't know. I mean, who would you get to play uh, the Buddy Hackett and uh, Buddy Hackett role? I I would say uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to be to be unserious. To be, to be uh, Leonardo Seth Rogen. Yeah, Seth Rogen and Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh God! In <laughs> one car. Uh, the the family one with Sid Caesar and Edie Gourmet and uh, Edie Gourmet. No, and Edie uh, Adams. I mean, I don't know who. I'd, I'd like depth for that myself. Yeah, you, you got some high but, expectations there. Hey. I gotta. I you see how much my don't feel cheesy. Unlimited budget I have. The money's piling up right behind me. Don't you say yeah? Thank you very much. Okay, donations will be accepted. Uh, but you know, unlimited. You know, everybody says, well, who do you want? I'd love to get Sean Connery out of retirement, but I don't think that'll happen. Dude, how old is he? How old is Sean Connery? I think he's 88. Woo! Connery and Eastwood. How about that? No, no. I'd like Connery and Harrison Ford together again. Uh, okay. And father and son again. You know, not playing father and son, but playing father and son. I would love to have them together in a movie again. I mean... They did such a job in Last Crusade, and I wish they would have gave him the extra money and had him in the last movie, but I don't know. Um, yeah. I, you know, when I, when I write, and I do write once in a while, uh, I think of who would I want to pair together, you know. I would love Harrison Ford and, 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 and Johnny Depp. In one movie, you know, I know mm-hmm. they've done one, but you know, have them, you know, in in one of these things. 
Yeah, uh, a lot of a I'm, lot of people have told me that um, you know one of my characters in my story boxed in. I've had four or five people tell me that they immediately pictured Joe Pesci, which is something I never thought of when I was writing it. But I've had four or five people tell me whenever they're reading boxed in and they're reading character, they're reading Benny, they they picture Joe Pesci. It's interesting how people they 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 make connections between celebrities and the characters they're reading. It's interesting. Is there a model for any of the characters you read based on somebody? How can I express it? Okay. They're saying Pesci or Benny. Now, yeah. who would you think for Benny? Uh, James Gandolfini. He's no longer like, with us. You can't get him. Right. <laughs> right, but but that's that's who I picture when when I was writing the story. That's who I picture, not Joe Pesci. Sheesh, I I could I can picture Pesci, but I also can picture Seth Rogen trying to be <laughs> mature, and and Paul Rudd. You know, uh, it depends. When you're, when you know, uh, of course, when you're re- when you're reading a book, you can put your own characters in. But people right. have asked me on some of the fiction I've done, who is that character? Who do you want to do it? And I'm putting it right now on your shoulders. If you right. could cast box in right now, who would you want casted for the movie? Of course, don't okay. But I'm talking actors, and I love James Gandolfini. I loved him dearly in in the uh, Soprano Sopranos, if I could say it. Uh, But we need um, who would you want now to to cast it with? And you can't cast it with Gandolfini; he's passed on. Okay, all right, so. you know, you got I'm a limited the, the budget. I got the budget right here. You see it right behind me? <laughs> Don't you see the ball behind me with the big gold line? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, so Richie, Richie, Richie and Timothy are your two main characters. They're young. I don't know any young actors that I would want. But, um, you know, if, if you're talking about Joe, which is Richie's trainer, I'd love to see, like, a, an Eastwood or maybe even a Harrison Ford. That would be cool. If you're talking about Benny... I know Gandolfini's gone, so maybe um, uh, let me come back to that one. You know, the the main antagonist, Salvador Pirelli, you know, just a straight-up vicious gangster. Love to see Pacino in that role. Um, what about you know, James Woods? James Woods? You know, he could be somebody, for sure. I like him. He's got oh, that, that he structure could, to his face. He could be such a mean son of a beehive. Yeah. And uh, I, I think he could, because he would, he's the kind of actor, and this is my opinion, he's the kind of actor that would do it so gently and soft and not yell. But believe but me, just his be words, mean. Oh, God. <laughs> but it's, who else? It's, 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 who else? Who else? So, uh, so who else? Um, uh, I mean, the other major characters, you got Lorenzo, which is, you know, middle-aged 
enforcer. So, I mean, who's somebody who's good now? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never really thought about casting the entire story. Um, well, that, 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 that we're going to save in, uh, for October when you come back, and then we'll ask who you want to cast. That way you okay. have time to, that way you have time <laughs> to think about it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you have time to think about it. And hopefully the sequel will be, if not coming out, at least halfway done or whatever, we can start promoting it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to come on back and talk about the, the sequel. For sure. And so, you know, I'm just trying, you know. You see, I'm even booking you for the next gig, you know. I love it. I love it. Don't, don't, don't tell me I'm not a nice guy. <laughs> but, um, so, even though I would love James Woods, come on. My heart, be standing my foolish heart. Hey, listen, if James Woods I, wants to be in the movie, I'm, I have no problem with that. Well, I just got I just got a, a guy going. Don't be so gay. I'm like, huh? Because you like an actor does not make you gay. But thank you very much, sir, for your opinion. Somebody called. Somebody called you gay. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna say? They're wrong. No, I'm not. But they 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 think you know. Don't be so gay. So I'm not. You know, I always loved the word gay. Gay meant happy or joyous or Yeah. You yeah. can look it up in the dictionary if you need to to do that, but gay was happy and joy and now it's like you're gay. Right. Oh, uh April Luna just said Lorenzo being Channing Tatum. Ooh, I like that. Nice call, Michelle. Nice call. That'd be great. Well, thank you. Miss Luna, thank you for for chiming in. And, you know, we get, get, you know, Channing Tatum. I I always think of him too much as Magic Mike, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? Lorenzo, the character Lorenzo is just a vicious terrible person so and I don't know if Channing Tatum could pull it off to be honest you gotta have somebody really just depraved I don't know why is three of them looking at me saying depraved no <laughs> <laughs> I am not depraved no okay all kidding aside if you have to see him in other movies. Okay, fine. April says, I have to see him in other movies. I will. Thank you. Okay. Let me get to... I mean, we have time, but let, let's sort of wrap it up, sir. Let's talk about where we can, they can get copies of Boxed In. Okay. So... Uh, Boxed In is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, a, a company I never even knew about, Kobo. Uh, you know, again, DLG has done a phenomenal job setting me up um, to be available across all markets and all different sites. Uh, you know, you can just Google Boxed In, Jay Davis, you're going to find me somewhere. 
uh, print copies nineteen ninety nine, and the uh, the ebook is six ninety nine. Uh, and I'm looking forward to people, you know, reaching out. And listen, I I'm a new author, I have a huge fan base, and so if you want to direct message me on Facebook, my uh, my real name is Joshua Weiderman. Uh, hit me up, and I'll gladly talk about the book with you. And I'll gladly answer any questions you have. Or uh, you know, I'm always looking for feedback and reviews. You know, I'm just getting started in this game. Okay, have you thought of audio? Uh, audio, I, I think. Yeah, I believe Audible or audio book is in the works. Um, you know, we've talked about it, so I'm sure it's coming at some point. Not what I hope it comes to. But okay. What are you going to be doing for the next couple of months? Anything other than writing a sequel? Well, I'm actually uh, remodeling my house. So uh, that's going to take up the majority of my next couple months. You know, I've got two small children, uh, a house I'm renovating, you know, so that on top of writing and closing out the school year and getting ready for next school year, hopefully we can actually open and not be in this virtual learning, which has just been an absolute catastrophe. Uh, That'd be great. So, so you think virtual learning is a catastrophe or not? I think that, uh, you know, it, it works for some demographics. You know, we talked about it earlier. You know, my kids, for the most part, are disadvantaged. Um, expecting them to, to log on and do their schoolwork when, you know, they've got mom and dad out of the house and they've got siblings to take care of, you know, it's just it's just not fair. I'll, I'll give you a quick, uh, a quick little story here. Um, Throughout the school year, there's a kid, his name was Brian, and he was, you know, a straight-A student. You know, he got straight A's in language arts for three straight, you know, for all all three first marking periods. And then we're now in the fourth quarter, and I get an email from his teacher talking about, uh, you know, Brian's not turning in work, and I'm going to have to fail him. And it's, it's like, no, 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 we're not going to fail him. We're not going to fail him. Is he submitting the assignments? Yes, but they're late. Well, that doesn't matter. This is a whole new environment. We can't punish kids for trying to navigate through this environment. But that's my point. Even a great student like this kid, Brian, is struggling in the virtual world. So I just really hope it doesn't carry over to next year because it's going to be an absolute mess for schools, for educators, for students, for parents. It's going to be a nightmare. And parents, too. Mm-hmm. But, yep. When I was a kid, they gave you a reading list, and you had mm-hmm. to pick 20 books, including Great Gatsby and and uh, you know, so many of them. You know what I'm saying. And I think sure. it, you had it, too. Well, we all did. Anybody over 40 had it, you know, had this reading list, and they gave you what out of out of 50 books or 40 books, you had to do 10 and do reports on them and everything else. As I said, Great Gatsby was one of them, and you had also, um, I'm just trying to, we're not talking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We're talking, uh, I'm trying to think some of the books here. It's, in 60 years of life, I'm trying to think of, my 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 high school days, and but they gave you all those books. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All these books you had, you had to to add to read them 
and you know you couldn't say war and peace, yeah, and you watch the movie. No, they will slap your wrists. Mm-hmm. But um, and I I bet as an educator you of course also have a list of of books that they can read. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so so like. Our eighth graders, our eighth graders, as they go, as they move into high school, um, some of the different things they're expected to read would be uh, Holes, um, Divergent, the Divergent series, um, the uh, tra- I, I can't remember the name of it, the uh, not traveling pants, but the I don't know one of them. Honestly, they're books that you know. No, I'm not. No disrespect to the authors, but they're not engaging to 13 year old kids. Um, you know, and again, that's that's really why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to get away from that textbook and give these kids something to read that would keep them interested. Um, you know, so we, of course we have our list, and the kids they're either going to read them or they're not. They're going to do their little summer project and move into ninth grade. Um, you know, so it's things haven't changed too much, Bennett. Well, the thing I I used to always okay, and I'm, maybe I'm dating myself. I used to like classic Star Trek. That's William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, uh, DeForest Kelly, classic Star Trek. And now, you know, and I did book reports on on some of the the books that they had at that time, and they don't have them or many of them anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had a TV show to back me up, but I also had adventure to do it with, if that makes any sense. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing lately. They, there's nothing lately. I mean, the Divergent series is great. However, it, it's teenagers, uh, and it, it doesn't always work. Right. Okay, it doesn't always work. It's hard, any... it's hard to get somebody to. It's hard to get a thirteen-year-old kid in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty to sit down and flip through a book. You know, they have the world at their fingertips on their little phone, or they're or they're addicted to their video games. This is a struggle in education. It's like you need instant gratification every single time you plan a lesson because that's what children are conditioned for today. They want the instant gratification. They want to know, you know, I'm going to play this little game and I'm going to get my points or whatever, or I'm going to watch this YouTube video and it's going to make me laugh right now. It's hard to get a kid to realize, well, if you open this book, you have to learn the backstory. And then once you get through it, you know, you would have learned a lesson. It would have been entertaining. It's very difficult to get 12, 13, 14-year-old kids today to understand that, if that makes any sense. Well, I used I remember when I was a kid, I was reading Homer Price. I'm dating myself now. And the Donut Machine. And I, I was fascinated when I went to a Dunkin' Donuts and watched them make donuts uh-huh. because I had... In the same book, and this is years ago, of course, Homer Price had a donut machine. And you're watching the same thing in real life. And they don't, you know, I'm sorry, divergence to me doesn't equal to what what goes on in a regular person's life. They can't show me 
this in live in liveness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it does. It does. It's just it's difficult to, you know. I, I, again, it's just that every every generation has you know their their foresight, their what they're interested in, you know. And we are in at least what I am teaching today. The generation I'm teaching today, they're so wrapped up in technology and that instant gratification that reading has really taken a wayside to to what they find is important. And the problem is, and I think I touched on it earlier. Reading is something you'll do for the rest of your life. You know, I always told my students when I was in the classroom, I always said this to them, you know, in, in, in 20 years, in 20 years, you're never going to have to know the year that George Washington crossed the Delaware. In 20 years, unless you are a carpenter, chances are you're not going to have to know the, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. But in 20 years, you're going to have to know how to read and write, and that never stops. And so I've always brought that mentality to them just to make them understand that, yeah, right now at 13, 14 years old, video games are cool and Instagram is cool and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to know how to communicate and how to read. And that's just – it's a constant struggle, at least through, the, through my lens of who I have taught. It's a constant struggle, and it's a, it's a shame because reading makes us – better communicators it makes us better writers it gives us you know more knowledge about the world itself fiction nonfiction. i don't care just pick up a book you know what i mean i i, just, I don't care and i'm going to say this i don't care if it's charlie and the chocolate factory or the Divergent series or anything else pick up a book That's a right. regular book um yeah. the one thing i will say you've been challenging sir you've been a, a gentleman moreover the book is called boxed in it's at amazon it's at kobo it's about other places next week Catherine ty ball uh is sitting in the hot seat and the week after we have we have guests coming up that'll surprise you and if they don't surprise you well Tune in the next week after and see some of our other guests. Good night. Fly right. Be well. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.